Hey, 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 welcome to yet another episode of Not Rocket Science, the show that talks about the intersectional relationship between business, technology, and the culture. How are you guys doing? How we doing? It is, for me, right now, at this very moment, Saturday. Saturday. What song is that? What song is that? Ten points for Gryffindor, if you can name that song. It was a rap song in the early 2000s from Luda, Ludacris, Saturday. Anyway, hope you guys are doing well. It is July 27th. Um, I am chilling. It is a nice day outside can't complain about the weather too much today it is pretty nice not quite as humid as it's been in recent weeks a little drier supposedly the air quality is not great according to uh apple weather but we will do it regardless regardless all right so what's going on with me i don't know i don't know what's going on with me oh last night i saw the new before we get into the main part of the show, I saw the uh, new Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Overall, it was decent. It was decent. It was uh, definitely not my favorite Quentin Tar- Tarantino movie, but with this one, you could tell he was trying to be a little different within the Tarantino template. You know, there's just a Tarantino style, and it, this movie is very much that, but... He he leans way more into the whole hangout aspect of a hangout movie. Like, hangout movies are movies where the plot isn't really the point. It's more the characters. They're just more character-driven. Most of his movies, on some level, are hangout movies. Not so much Kill Bill, but like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, those kinds of movies. It would typically be labeled as hangout movies. Hateful Eight, definitely a hangout movie. Um, This one was an extreme hangout movie. Like, the plot is way, 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 way on the back burner in this one compared to the dialogue and just the characters. Um, Overall, I liked it, but to me, movies that take the hangout dynamic i guess you could say to that level of extreme it's it's a little tough to me the pacing of the movie just fell off compared to other movies i get it the plot isn't the main point of the movie but you gotta keep people engaged people have short attention spans these days 
And there's really, like, no defined plot at all for, like, the first almost two hours of the movie. There's very little going on. Like, very little. There's some entertaining dialogue bits. You learn about the characters. But there's, as far as, like, some sort of structural narrative, there's very little going on in, like, the first two hours of the movie. The last half hour of the movie, a ton goes on. Um, which was cool and very Tarantino-esque, not to give anything away, but uh, the first two hours was just kind of too much for me. Like, there has to be some sort of plot beginning to unfold, some sort of narrative line being drawn on some level, and there just wasn't much of that in this movie. So overall, I liked it. I thought the dialogue was good. I thought the characters were great. Um, I just felt the pacing was off. But what I thought was really cool about the movie is how well they recreated the feeling of being in Los Angeles in 1969. Like, better than probably any movie I've ever seen. You felt like you were there. Like, you know what being in L.A. in the late 60s was like to a T. Everything. All the details on the billboards to, like, the weird movie titles that were showing... Like, one thing I liked about, um, I've always liked about Quentin Tarantino is when he does his set designs that are, like, period-driven, or period pieces, not so much Hateful Eight when it's back in the 1800s or whatever and they're just in a shed, but, like, anything that has a pop-cultural aspect to it, he nails it. Because he never does, like, for example, if it's Hollywood... The movie marquees are never some, like, major, super well-known classic movie from the late 60s. It's always some obscure movie. Like, in this one, they were showing Three in the Attic. Who the who watches Three in the Attic now? Who even remembers what that movie is? But I think that's kind of cool to show a more obscure movie. Because it just feels more authentic. When it's something that's like a flop compared to some classic, it, it just feels a little more authentic and a little more in a way like voyeuristic because you're not seeing some perfectly painted picture of the late 60s with all the successes it's you're seeing everything things that fail things that succeed uh the positive aspects the negative aspects but you're getting an authentic representation it makes me kind of feel like when i think about times square and midtown manhattan from when i was a little kid which is like the 90s, you know, like 1994, 95, and how different it is compared to now. It's not like a glamorous picture in my head, but it is a different picture, and it's an accurate picture. I think that's really uh, something that Hollywood tries to rewrite. I remember going on set one time um, for Heroes, the TV show. Remember the TV show Heroes? And... uh, they were trying to recreate Central Park. And I was this was probably like 10, 11 years ago maybe. Like 2008. And me and my sister were like just walking through the set of this fake Central Park on the back lot of Universal NBC. And we were thinking like, this is not Central Park at all. What are they doing? The taxi cabs. They had real authentic taxi cabs. Like, that were the real deal. They were exactly the same model of car that the taxis are in 
New York or were in New York at the time, but they were way too clean. Everything was super polished. The hot dog carts, which you don't see that many of in Central Park anyway. That's a little weird. Were way too clean, way too nice. Like everything was just too clean and too nice and just killed the authenticity. And, you know, that's a TV set. They don't have the same budget. I understand. But still... I was just it just made me think of when I was on set that one day for Heroes um and how inauthentic that seemed compared to this movie. So I thought that was really cool. It makes you want to live in LA to a degree, but it also makes you realize what LA is now compared to what it once was and how much cooler it would have been to live in LA in the late 60s. That seems like the best place on earth to live. LA at that time. But anyway, I don't want to get too wrapped up into it. Um not the point of today's show, but I think it's worth a it's worth a ticket if you are a fan of Tarantino and you're a fan of that style of movie making and uh, you like period pieces that feel like an escape. Um, I recommend it. If you just like action, 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 I don't recommend it. That's kind of my take on it. Um, but the ending's pretty cool. And it arguably it's worth it, but uh, yeah, overall it's pretty cool. Um, I like the historical aspect, the set design, the cinematography. The acting was very good. Brad Pitt was very good. This is probably Brad Pitt's best movie in a long time. He kind of kills it in this. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio is good too, but it's a very like Leo performance. Brad Pitt kills it. Margaret Robbie does a good job. She's not. She doesn't have that much dialogue, but she does a good job um, as far as portraying Sharon Tate. And you you buy it. You buy it, basically. And then uh, there's this little girl. Uh, her la- I forget her name, but uh, her last name's Butters, I think. She is really good. She's a scene stealer. Um, she has a scene with Leonardo DiCaprio, and she kills it. This, is, this little, like, 10-year-old girl, like, steals the movie. Um in one scene so yeah that's it i'd say check it out if you're into hollywood into los angeles into tarantino style of movies into character driven pieces um but if you're like a fast and furious fan not so much all right anyway moving on moving on so all right i had um this little interaction on Instagram the other day based on a post that I saw. And it it got me thinking. It got me thinking about the dangers and the powers of throwing out metrics to influence others, particularly in the world of social media. And I understand this is a hard transition to make right now on this podcast. I know... I can't really smoothly transition from Brad Pitt and L.A. in the 60s to vanity metrics, data, social media, interaction, etc. It's a weird jump, but this is a weird show, so we're going to do the damn thing. Anyway, I saw this post on Instagram, and it was talking about... It's this guy who's a who's a web designer. He does freelance web design, and he tries to be like a social media influencer in the niche space of like web design product design ux ui business of design um pitching to get clients for your design projects etc 
that's kind of the industry I'm sort of in, and um, it's, there's this you know niche market for it in social media, and he's trying to carve out his place. Um, I don't want to put him on blast too much because I do like a lot of what he puts out, but he's a little salesy. The guy is a for sure salesman, but puts out good content too. Some content's fluff, some of it's good. Um, so I'm not going to put him on blast or anything, but he put out this one post... And he was saying how, like, UX, UI is dead. It's all about web design. And where he's coming from, if you're not into this, I'm sorry. It's just I got to do what I know and react to what I feel. And this is kind of the world that I'm in. But I think eventually the point I'm going to be making translates to other industries outside of just the design industry. So bear with me. Anyway, he was making this post about how UX, UI design is dead and, you know, how web design's a better opportunity. The end goal, of course, is to buy his master class for this tool that lets you build websites without code. Everything he does goes back to him trying to sell you on his master class. But anyway, I've been known that for months. So I'm like, all right, I get it. He's hustling. Whatever. It's fine. But then in his description on his Instagram post, he talks about how, like, basically UX, UI is a... It's hard to sell that because generally the value understanding of UX, UI design is for big companies. It's fairly esoteric. It's not that accessible. Um, Therefore, your potential client pool, if you're trying to pitch to clients for UX, UI, is way lower than just web design. And the example he uses is how there's 28 million businesses just in the United States, and they all need websites this day and age. Therefore, the the opportunity of pitching web design service to build custom websites is much bigger than being you know a UX UI consultant and trying to get business through that route. That was the basic premise of what he's saying. Um, and there's a lot of holes in that premise. You can you can do the semantic argument and talk about how UX, UI, and web design is all basically one big thing, and you're using different words to describe the same thing. There's that angle you could take. But I don't want to take that angle. I'm going to give him some rope on that one. I understood what he was trying to say. Here was my problem, and this is what I'm talking about when it comes to vanity metrics. My take was... Okay, there's 28 million businesses alone in just the United States. Uh Uh-huh, I gotcha. Well, my question then, and I got no response from him, of course, was out of those 28 million businesses, realistically, what's the market opportunity for custom web design? Out of all those businesses, how many of them care so much about the potential value of a custom designed website that they're willing to shell out thousands of dollars when platforms like Squarespace already exist, right? Squarespace is huge. WordPress is huge. There's already these catch-all platforms that admittingly most web ux ui product designers don't really like them because of the constraints they put on your design potential and flexibility they work pretty well for a lot of people if you're an actor if you're a construction business if you're a 
restaurant. These websites do a pretty... Wix is another one. These websites do a pretty damn good job at giving you what you need to have your digital presence online. Because that's all you're trying to do. You're trying to have it to check off a box in a lot of these businesses. Some businesses care more about the design. You know, some restaurants are, you know, have put a lot of care into their interior design and they want their digital presence to kind of reflect the care they put into their interior design, for example. Therefore, they might want a custom website. Those exist. But for the most part, I'm willing to bet, I don't have data to back this up, but I'm willing to bet that um, most businesses are not willing to spend thousands of dollars for a custom website. I think that is a fair bet. And the biggest metric that I'm using for that is the fact that WordPress alone, just WordPress, powers 30% of all websites. And I know a lot of that is um, bigger businesses using the WordPress software to create their own site. They're not using WordPress's templates to design their restaurant website necessarily, but WordPress already has 30% of the entire internet. So, and then I think Squarespace has close to 300,000 businesses already on their platform. Like, they meet a lot of needs and check a lot of boxes for a lot of people. So when you say things like there's 28 million businesses, it's, to me, a vanity metric. It's, it's a metric you're using for the sake of trying to push your agenda because you would have to understand what the product market fit for custom web design within that 28 million actually is to create a real argument that's backed by data and isn't you know biased towards one direction or the other so that's just the thing that kind of set me off a little because like i know a decent amount about you know web design ux ui but i also know a little bit about other businesses that need websites to thrive like seo and with SEO, there's there's a whole niche industry of local SEO to um that basically means like if you're a dentist office, you when you type in uh not rocket science dentistry and you're in Chicago, Illinois, you do a search on Google and you know how you get the map and then the those results of like dentist office in chicago and usually the one you search for is the on the top that's local seo and that optimizing that is a whole niche industry in itself and there's all these people that create what's called a lead generation site just for local seo and the people that design these sites are seo marketers they are not web designers and they make ugly as crap websites like super super ugly but they're designed to generate traffic not look pretty um not to tell a story in a clean design layout not to use high-end photography to help sell a product um you know it's a different strategy but the point is is like those sites exist those sites get business those sites get clients too and for a leaf blowing business, what's more important? A lead generation site with optimized SEO copy and local SEO strategy built into the site 
and the copy or a super pretty leaf blowing business website and you know this could be a biased argument the other way but i'm just painting a picture on the full end-to-end quote-unquote web design industry and all the different niche industries within the overarching industry of trying to get clients by creating websites whether it's a website geared toward seo or whether it's a website geared toward web design whether it's a website that isn't brochureware which is like some cutting edge looking landing page site but you know an e-commerce shopify site and you hire a shopify consultant with a user experience background to optimize your e-commerce user flows like there's all these different ways to sell clients based on creating websites and they don't all involve making you know beautiful layouts um because those don't always sell that's the thing i've had clients in the past when i was freelancing who literally wanted nothing to do with the typical designer archetype that philosophizes you know if your site was an animal what website or what animal would it be or like talking a lot about you know, the emotional context of the user, which creates your style guide and color palette. Like, they didn't want to hear any of that shit. And they hired me because they didn't want to hear any of that shit. And the last client, um, I'm sorry, not the last client, but the last agency that worked with them tried to do all that stuff and they didn't have time for it. And they fired them. So you know what I mean? Like, people don't care about the esoteric world of designers and web designers. They want to get their shit done and if design is one way to get it done then great they'll hire a designer if seo is another way to get it done then they'll do that but um i don't know what the product market fit is for custom web design out of those 28 million businesses and that's all i responded with i just threw it out there i'm like out of those 28 million businesses, how many of them are being underserved for their goals based on Squarespace, Wix, WordPress, et cetera, being out there? Like, how many of them are not using that and those don't meet their needs? Because that would define the real opportunity. But anyway, I think I made my point. I think I made my point clear. Um, but this idea of vanity metrics on a bigger level, you know, that translates to work too. I see it all the time when working full time in house people always trying to cover their asses not get their ass on the chopping block um and vanity metrics i think is just like a defense mechanism that they use and it's it's kind of dangerous because sometimes they're harder to spot um but here's a good example of just what to think about when people are pulling out all these metrics out of their ass to kind of paint a picture of something positive. If something's always positive, I would say always be skeptical. If in a presentation they're being more realistic about what they're presenting and they're showing the positives and successes but also the negatives and they're not appearing overly biased or overly fake happy, um, then then they're probably being legit. But if everyone's overly positive and just everything's looking good, be skeptical. And here's a good example that I was talking to someone about the other day um, when it comes to how a vanity metric can work. Like, you can talk about how high, let's say, your conversion rate is on this new website with this new user flow for this new initiative that your business 
has trying to drive right now, right? Conversion rate sounds good. Wrong. So here's the example. Conversion rate could be good or could be a bad um, KPI to measure because when it comes to your web traffic, your traffic, your volume per day or per hour, whatever you're measuring, can have a direct influence on conversion rate. And then it makes the conversion rate, if there's a large variance in volume, it makes the conversion rate not an accurate measure of success. So, like, for example, let's say you have website tra- uh, website up, you want traffic, you want people to buy your new teapots on your e-commerce site, let's say, right? You get 1,000 people Monday, you get 1,000 people Tuesday, and your conversion rate's the same. So you have a 2% conversion rate. Um, 2% of 1,000 means 20 people, right? I'm doing math on the fly right now. 20 people bought a teapot Monday, Tuesday, right? So your conversion rate is 2%. Um, Wednesday, your conversion rate is 1%. But instead of 1,000 people, you got 2,000 people because you launched a Facebook ad, got a lot of reach, got a lot of impressions. So then you have 2,000 people, but your conversion rate's still 2%. But in 2,000 people... That means you sold 40 teapots. So you sold way more teapots, but your, your conversion rate is the exact same. And then Friday, let's say Thursday is back to 1,000. And then Friday you get, let's say, 5,000 people. All of your marketing hits on the exact same time. And you drive all this traffic to your website. And you have 5,000 people visiting your website. But your conversion rate drops from 2% to 1%. Well, that's not a bad thing because at 1%, if you got 5,000 people to your site, that means you sold 50 teapots. So your best day had the worst conversion rate, right? That is the danger conversion rate. So like when people just throw one metric out there like that, like conversion rate, please, 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 please be skeptical. Ask what the volume is. Ask what the variance is per day, per week, per hour in volume, whatever it is that you're tracking. Um, And just be skeptical. Don't let people bullshit you because there are a lot of bullshitters out there. And there's the most bullshitters in social media. And they don't even do a good job because they don't have access to analytics in the sense that I'm talking about here. It's even harder at a company to figure out what the vanity metrics are. But when people are trying to sell you on some product online, it's easy as hell. And call them out on it. Don't just blow it off. Maybe leave a comment trying to get them to answer you because even if they don't, somebody out there will recognize what you're saying is valuable because I got, you know, I got a couple people saying that what I said on that Instagram post was, uh, you know, a good question to ask here. You know what I mean? And it just helps. It helps you in the social media world look like a smart person and it just helps cut through the bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm all for cutting through the bullshit. And uh, whether you're at work, whether you're in whatever niche you are into in social media, it's always a healthy practice to have an open dialogue, a respectful dialogue from different opinions, and with the overarching goal of cutting through the BS and getting to the real point. And 
you know, being honest about it and letting people see that honesty. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, just wanted to talk about vanity metrics. Got a little triggered. Got a little triggered this week. Um, so yeah, vanity metrics and Quentin Tarantino movies. Boom. That's the show. That's all I want to do. I want to keep this one nice and short. I'm about to walk up the street, eat some tasty ass acai bowls. So I got to run, but, uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for the support. And, um, I will see you next week. If you have any questions, Hit us up on email at notrocketscienceshow at gmail.com or on the gram at nrs underscore show or Twitter at nrs underscore show. That is it. Thank you, guys. I will see you next week. Have a good one. See you once upon a time in Hollywood if Quentin Tarantino is your deal. And uh, peace. Peace.